This is uh, My Strange Addiction. My name is Kurt. You ought to know me by now. I'm the guy who makes the announcements. I did not know when I named this elective or when I wrote the blurb that there's a song called My Strange Addiction by some girl named Billie Eilish. And, um, yeah. And, um, oh, oh, I don't know anything about it. I don't care. I haven't listened to it and I don't care. So that was just like me. Um, all, all that was to say that this will have nothing to do with that song. Um, so, um, what do you need to know about me? Um, well, let's see. My name's Kurt. I was born in South Carolina. I lived in most of my life. I, li- I lived most of my life in Mississippi. Uh, I lived in Louisiana after that, and then most of my life in Mississippi, and now I live in Alabama. And my standard joke about that is that I am a Georgia short of a redneck bingo. I've lived all my life in the deep south, and I'm fine with it. Um, so, whatever. Uh, I am the minister to youth at uh, Trinity Presbyterian Church in Montgomery, Alabama. I've been there for seven and a half years. Uh, and we're recording this, so I want to make sure I didn't mess that up. Um, I've been there for seven and a half years. And uh, I have a wife uh, named Marty. Uh, that's a picture of her and I. We are going to a debutante ball, which is something they still do in Montgomery. So that's cool, I guess. Or not cool. I don't care what you think about that. So we got invited. We went. It was a couple of our students that were presented or whatever. And, uh, and uh, her name is actually Martha, but her grandmother was named Martha. Um, she was named after her grandmother. She named Martha Lynn. And, um, and both of her grandmothers didn't want to be known as Big Martha or Big Lynn, so they named her Marty. So that's how she got that name. Um, and then we have two sons. Uh, our sons are here. Uh, this is, on the right is uh, our oldest, Campbell. He is seven years old. And then um, our youngest is Grayson. He is two. So um, they're a lot of fun. I have not seen them in like ten days. Or so I haven't seen them since last Sunday, so not this Sunday, but the Sunday before last. So it's kind of sad. Um, Marty will send me texts and I'll be like, Grayson will be like, Daddy, come home, and it'll just make you cry a little bit. Um, but uh, also, she says that Campbell said, uh, "I wish Daddy was here like ten times." But the only time he ever said it was when his mom wasn't giving him what he wants. So I don't know if he really misses me or not. Um, but uh, anyway. Uh, that's what you need to know about me. I'm going to pray, and we're going to get. I'm going to ask you a few questions, and then we're going to get started. So let's pray. Lord, uh, we pray that you would be with us in this time that we've set aside. Uh, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would illuminate and sharpen our minds, that you would convict our hearts, that you would take our cold, dead hearts and make them alive in Christ. And that you would grow us and mature us in our faith. We pray all this in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Alright. Everyone, I'm going to give up the ghost right now and say that like... Everyone here knows we're going to talk about phones, right? Okay. So I didn't do this in the first hour, but I meant to. And so I'm going to do it this hour. Who in here... It'd probably be easier to say who doesn't. Who in here does not have a cell phone yet? 
Okay, so as you can see, the vast majority of people do have a cell phone. All right, you can put your hands down. Your parents actually love you. No. <laughs> no. Uh, the, uh, um, yeah, I just wanted to see. Now, if you don't have a cell phone yet, you're going to be tempted when you hear what I talk about to be like really self-righteous. And let me curb you from that already. The only difference between you and, and the person who has a cell phone is that you're, you just haven't been given the opportunity to mess up like they have. So, um, so let's not do that. Let's not go, go down the Pharisee road. But let's just leave cell phones behind for a second. Can we, I know this is going to, eventually we're going to get to smartphones and iPhones and Androids and all that. But I want to talk about something far more interesting, okay, than all of that. I want to talk about three old, dead white guys, okay? Um, now look, there's nothing wrong with being old, dead, or white, or a guy, but that's, that's what all of these guys have in common, okay? And uh, I want to talk about them, and uh, you might think, I didn't sign up for history class, but I will try to make it as entertaining as I can, okay? The first man, the man on your left, is Sir Robert Christensen. Sir Robert Christensen is Scottish, okay? Which already means he's pretty tough. And, uh, because, um, and also, anyway, I started really talk trash about the Scottish, but I'm not going to because I want to be killed by some Claymore later. But, uh, uh, he, uh, he was a learned doctor and he became the president or the head of the British Medical Association. So, he was a very learned doctor. He was a research physician. He was quite accomplished individual. And not only that, but this guy was awesome. And how do I mean he was awesome? Well, he studied the effects of substances on the human body, okay? And lots of times he would acquire subjects, he would get people to take, ingest certain substances, and then he would test, he would have them describe how they felt. But there were some substances that no one would take. And so he just decided at the ripe old age of 70 to start taking trace amounts of these substances. Things like arsenic and cyanide and strychnine. Like things that literally kill you, okay? He would take trace amounts of these substances. Again, at the age of 70, he would take these substances and then he would describe what it felt like until he passed out and then they would try to revive him. His research assistants would try to revive him. I don't know if you know any doctors but that's a real doctor right there, okay? This guy earned it. They, they, he was for real practicing medicine. And um, so an amazing individual, right? Well, one day he took a certain substance, a new substance that no one had taken before or that he hadn't heard of before. And when he took this substance, the next thing that he did at the age of 80 years old is he got up and he went on a uh, 15, no, a 10-hour, 15-mile walk. And he came back, and he went to bed, and he woke up the next day fresh as a daisy. And he was certain that he had discovered a miracle drug. What was that drug? We'll get back to that in a second. The guy in the middle is John S. Pemberton. John S. Pemberton fought in the Civil War. He's an American. Okay, He fought in the Civil War. He fought on the losing side. He's fine. He's from Georgia. Okay, um, He was grievously injured during the Civil War. He was grievously injured, multiple musket wounds, um, and, uh, and uh, because of the pain 
that he endured from his injuries became addicted to morphine. Then he developed a, uh, a cure for his morphine addiction. All right? A drink that he could drink that would cure him his morphine. It had the same substance that Sir Robert Christensen had taken. The third guy, what was that substance? If you haven't guessed by now, I'm keeping you in suspense. It's a little trick that I do to keep you interested. Um, the third guy is Sigmund Freud. Okay, Sigmund Freud, a lot of people think a lot of things about him, whether he was a good guy or a bad guy. I'm not here to decide. Um, he was Austrian. I, can do, I do know that. That's a, a not debatable. And, uh, and he, he too took this miracle drug. And he too, he wrote a paper that said, this is the answer to all of our problems. What was the substance that Sigmund Freud and John Pemberton and Sir Robert Christensen all took? It was cocaine. <laughs> it was cocaine. Um, John Pemberton, John Pemberton took cocaine and he put it in a drink. He put it in a drink. And eventually that drink, he first he called it French wine with cocoa, but that wasn't really selling. So then he decided to just change his name to Coca-Cola. Um, he invented Coca-Cola. These are, all these men, uh, Sigmund Freud wrote a book called Uber Coca, a pamphlet about how cocaine had solved so many of his problems. Sir Robert Christensen started giving cocaine to all of his elderly patients who couldn't get up and walk. Right? They were, they were not ambulatory. So he gave them cocaine so they could get up and walk. Look, it wasn't just them, okay? It wasn't just them. These are advertisements from newspapers about cocaine. This is from a drink, a precursor to Coca-Cola called Boggs Tawny Port. I just want to read you one section of this. It says, cure for drunks. Again, I did not Photoshop, Photoshop this in any way. It says, this cure works like magic, consisting almost entirely of cocaine syrup and wheat grapes. If any drunkard drinks copious amounts of this cocaine syrup, they will almost instantly lose their need and want of alcohol and will gain a new want for life and fun. Tell them to drink more and hand them Bald's Tawny Port. This is a cocaine... Burnett's Extracts Cocaine for hairdressing. Rub cocaine on your head, okay? And, and it will... Look, it will kill dandruff. It will promote the growth of hair. It also cures scald head, whatever that is. That sounds like an insult to me. It's like you're a scald head. That's a, you just save that one for later. If someone hurts your fans, they'll be like, well, you're just a scald head. They're not going to know what to do. They're, they'll just walk off into the ocean. Um, hey, what about kids? They need cocaine too. This is real. This is real. Cocaine tooth drops. Instant, instantaneous cure if you have a toothache. Let's get some cocaine toothache drops. Lloyd Manufacturing Company, 2019, Hudson Avenue, Albany, New York. It's for sale by all druggists. What about the younger kids? Sure, this is good for the kids who have toothaches, but what about babies? Well, guess what? We've got cocaine for them too. This is Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup. If you've ever had a child, you know that when they're teething, it's so frustrating because they hurt, but there's nothing you can do about it. They're cutting teeth and it hurts. Well, guess what? Back in the 1800s, they were like, let's just hook them up with some cocaine and they won't complain about it anymore. <laughs> Guys, this is not a joke. This is not like, this is all real history, okay? I wish that I was making this up. This is not, this is not fake in any way. This is a, just an excerpt from a paper. It says, this is what 
from the newspaper's advertisement for another cocaine product, and it says this, Cocaine is endorsed by 20,000 of the world's most learned and scientific medical men. Cocaine can supply the place of food. It can make the coward brave, the silent eloquent, and render the sufferer insensitive to pain. Okay? This is real. This is real talk, okay? These... When people discovered cocaine, they thought that it was the solution to everything, and they were like, let's just give it to everybody. It'll help. It was a real problem, all right? There were real problems that it solved, okay? They should have known from Proverbs, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. This is Jesus talking about counting the cost in the Gospel of Luke. Which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Cocaine. Here's the deal with cocaine in the late 1800s, okay? Early, early to mid-1800s. Is that cocaine was new. It was brand new. Alright? It just barely been around for any amount of time. Not only that, but cocaine seemed to solve a lot of problems, okay? It could help people grow their hair. It, it could make people who were shy be able to talk. It could help people. Really, the big thing that it was used for is there were people who were not ambulatory. In other words, they couldn't walk. Like older people, they couldn't get up and they would get bed sores. And they, but if you gave them some cocaine, all of a sudden they could become ambulatory again and walk around. And this is primary medical use for cocaine at the time, okay? So it seemed to solve a lot of important problems, okay? But the side effects weren't known, okay? We didn't know at the time that if you take a bunch of cocaine, that one, you become addicted to it, and we're going to come back to that. But two, also, as a mild side effect, your heart explodes. So there's that too, you know? I could just see the TV ad. If they had had television at the time, it's like a couple like hang gliding, and they're like, before I, I couldn't even walk, but now with cocaine, you know, like I'm out here hang gliding. With, you know how these medical commercials are. They're always doing some weird activity that no one really does. It's like some guy like owns a bakery and also is like a drummer in a punk band. It doesn't make any sense. And it's like all with Lunesta. Like, you know, like... All that to say... All that to say is that we just didn't know that it kills you, right? We didn't know that cocaine kills you. Um, it wasn't... Those men, they're not dumb men, right? They're smart. It's super intelligent men. Probably smarter than anyone in this room, okay? Maybe smarter than any two of us combined. And they thought... They thought they discovered something. It wasn't... They didn't count the cost. They also didn't understand addiction, Okay? At the time, in the 1800s, the way that addiction was understood was like this. That addiction was only a problem for people who were young, like you, right now. It was only a problem for people who were weak-willed. Right? This is why Sigmund Freud and Robert Christensen never thought that they could be addicted to cocaine. I mean, they were accomplished doctors that had to use a ton of self-discipline and self-control to get where they were. So they were never really worried about being addicted to something. I can't be addicted. I'm strong-willed. I'm an accomplished person. All right? We know now that's foolish. Also, the unintelligent. They thought, well, if you're dumb, then maybe you're addicted. Again, these doctors thought, well, I'm intelligent. I don't have to worry about this. Now we know that that is a complete lie, that addiction affects everyone. Okay? But cocaine, it was new. It seemed to solve important problems. Its effects weren't apparent yet. And also, addiction was misunderstood. Now... 
you're like, I thought this was about phones. I've never done cocaine. I don't even want to do cocaine. Like, this guy seems to be like maybe even for cocaine a little bit. <laughs> I'm not, by the way. You're definitely misreading me if you're getting that. Everything that, but here's what I want to say to you, all right? Everything that I just said about cocaine, everything that I just said about cocaine can be said about smartphones, okay? Every single thing that I just said, all right? Smartphones are new. Are there any 11-year-olds in here? Is there an 11-year-old in here? You're 11? You're even you're wearing number 11 jersey. That's, that's like a pray, but I feel like there's a Sesame Street episode right now. I'm 11. Yeah. Um, you were born 2007? Or 8? 2007? Yeah, guess what else was born in 2007? The iPhone. Okay, you're exactly the same age. What's your name? Noble. Noble. Oh, I like that name. I had a kid in my youth group named Noble. Um, Noble and the iPhone are the same age. Noble has never... There's never been a moment in Noble's life where the iPhone didn't exist. Alright? There's never been a moment in any of your lives in here, unless you're about my age, where cell phones didn't exist. Okay? But you guys are so young, and this technology is brand new. I mean, I'm not trying to diss on Noble, but he is a brand new person, okay? Like, 11 is nothing. It's like, you're barely a decade old, all right? Which is great. Enjoy that. It's awesome. You know, I loved being 10 and 11. Like, but it's brand new. You, and the effect, well, first of all, and phones seem to solve a lot of our problems too, right? Like, a phone tells us where to go. It tells us when to wake up and when to go to bed. It entertains us while we wait to go to bed, right? Wait to fall asleep. It, it, um, it reminds it even predicts where I'm going to go. I'll start backing out of my driveway and my phone is like, it looks like you're headed to Trinity Presbyterian Church. Traffic is light and you're 11 minutes away. And it's like, how did you know that? <laughs> like, um, sometimes I want to go to a different place just to show the phone what's up. Be like, oh yeah, I'm going to get ice cream now. What's up? Now, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> It, but then it predicts that too. It's like, you will probably go to Chick-fil-A. They, um, uh, like, I, I distinctly remember in 2009, I had an iPhone. And uh, we were driving to a wedding. It was in Texas. We were driving. It was my parents and my wife and I. And my dad was driving at the time. And um, he was getting really mad. We were in Tyler, Texas, and he was getting really mad. And I said, Dad, why are you so frustrated right now? My dad does this thing that I do too, where he sighs a lot when he gets sad. He just goes, I do that a lot. I hate it, but I do it. And he does it too. And um, I was like, why are you so mad? And he was like, well, this road is not on my map. And I said, well, can I look at your map? And he handed me, it's a piece of paper, by the way. Like, uh, I know for some of you, you're like, what? Um, it like folded. You can never quite get it folded right the, the same way that it was. But some people in here who use maps are like, yes, I know what that feels like. Um, but I looked at a map and I was like, I went to the cover and I was like, Dad, this ma- map was made in 1995. It's 2009. This map is 14 years old. Like, do you think that the roads possibly could have changed in Tyler, Texas in the last 14 years? And he was like... When we get there, I'm buying a Garmin immediately. You know, we use my iPhone to get the, the rest of the way. You guys don't even know what it's like to be lost, right? That's how new. But it just seems like, it seems like we couldn't live without it. It seems, like it's, it, it seems to solve all these problems. And here's the crazy thing, okay? Here's, like, you guys don't even realize this, but you know how, like, 
you know how you felt about those kids that they gave like cocaine tooth drops to and cocaine like, you know, like that's you with, with smartphones. Like we're just testing this crap out on you right now, okay? Like we're handing it to you when you're 10 or 11 or whenever you get your phone, we're handing it to you and we're just going to see what it does to you, all right? And when you guys get to be 30 or 40, we're going to look back and we're going to be like, oh, well, maybe that wasn't a good idea. Just kind of like we we're looking. Just gonna, like someone's going to be teaching this RYM elective, and they're going to be like, "Y'all, they gave phones to eleven-year-olds." Everyone's going to be like, "What idiots!" <laughs> just like you were about those people, right? Your generation, we don't even know what it's going to do to you. My two-year-old, my two-year-old will come and take my phone from my or my wife's phone from her hand, and he'll say, "Peachers." Peachers, peachers, and he knows how to find her pictures and to start swiping through them until he finds a video of him and he'll hit play. He knows how to do that at two years old. And that is not cool to me, that is frightening to me. Okay? I don't know if y'all have seen the video of the girl who thinks a magazine is an iPad. They hand this little baby girl a magazine and she starts trying to swipe and it's like it doesn't work. She's like, it doesn't work. She doesn't know that you have to turn the pages. We don't know what kind of effects it's going to have on you. We're just giving it to you. You're the guinea pig generation. You let us know how it works out. Um, also, addiction is misunderstood still. Okay, It's still misunderstood. Now we understand that everyone is, can be addicted, but here's something that we... Let's just try a little test here. I, I, with middle school, it's always dangerous to have participation, but let's try. If I say, that guy is addicted to... What are the first things that come to mind to finish that sentence? Oh, whoa, hold on. Drugs, alcohol, uh, drinking, vaping, like nicotine, caffeine, Fortnite. Alright. Okay, that's good. I want you to know something, okay? Most of the things that you named, most of the things that you named were things that you put into your body. Caffeine, nicotine, drugs, Alcohol, tobacco, things that you ingest, sugar. Like these are things that we're addicted to that we ingest. But some of the things that you mentioned, and this is where we don't, our mind just doesn't naturally go there immediately, were behaviors. Like Fortnite, someone said. Alright? That's a behavior. Let me give you another behavior that people are addicted to. Does anyone in here bite their fingernails? Anyone here bite? I do. I bite my fingernails. Now look, that is, that is a behavioral addiction. At some point you pick that up, probably from your parents, and when you get stressed out, you bite your fingernails because it allows you to exert just a touch of control over your own body, right? It's also an oral fixation. Some of you are probably passy babies if you did that. That's fine. Um, uh, but when I get stressed out, I bite my fingernails. Okay? A couple weeks ago, I was stressed out, and these things got down. They're still, they quite, haven't quite recovered. Like, they get down to the nubs. You know what I mean? Like, that's a behavior. That, like, biting fingernails does not make me feel high. It does not give me some kind of, like, uh, otherworldly experience. It's simply a behavior that I use, that I have conditioned myself to use to cope with what's going on in my life. And this is the primary source of addiction for you. The primary source of addiction for you is not drugs or alcohol, I'm going to assume. Okay? That day may come, but that's not it. Your primary source of addiction is a behavioral addiction. Alright? Behavioral addiction. Things that you do without even thinking about it to cope with your scenarios. Okay? 
A classic example of this would be pornography, by the way. This is a classic behavioral addiction. But all that to say is that, um, is that because of behavioral addiction, there was a guy who studied hu- human and dog behavior, all right? And he gave us an insight into how we have classically conditioned ourselves. His name was Pavlov, okay? And look, I'm going to show you a picture. This is not his actual dog, but um, Pavlov did this thing that's kind of freaky that they would never allow now um, because, like, whatever. But he was studying dogs' salivatory glands. And so um, he would, what he would do is he would stick this little vial, attach it to a, the uh, saliva gland on one side of the dog's mouth. And he would measure like how much they salivated and what caused them to salivate. And one of the things that he noticed was is that whenever his research assistant came into the room that they would always begin to salivate. And that was because his research assistant was the one who fed the dogs. So he developed this machine, developed this method, okay, where the dogs would be fed. But before they were fed, he would ring a bell. He would ring ding, ding. And every time that he rang the bell, they would give him the food. And then he took away the food. Then he just started to ring the bell. And you know what? Anytime the bell rang, you know what would happen? They would salivate. And that's called classical conditioning. They, they took a stimuli, which was the ringing of the bell, and they associated it with behavior until those two things were merged into one. Okay? Now, that is a fascinating study. Okay? Fascinating because we, are, we who use cell phones are also classically conditioning ourselves. We're not Pavlov, we're the dogs. Let me show you a little video that explains that. Make sure the sound works. Yeah, y'all just watch this. Reflexes keep us alive. But we're not born with programmed reactions. Sometimes new stimuli can provoke a near universal response. Like when this guy walks past people and pings his own cell phone. See what that video is saying. That video is saying that this is this device is used to we're we're willingly and aggressively classically conditioning ourselves to answer this thing. Let me show you one other funnier video. If y'all could just be quiet while this video plays, some people tend to want to talk about this while it plays, but um, this is another example of that. Oh, so 
Okay. I too love the office. Um, I know that we all like to think that we're Jim, but we're Dwight. We have classically conditioned ourselves to answer this phone. What do I mean by that? I mean that when this, when our phone calls to us, we must respond to it. We get agitated when we can't respond to it. Frustrated, stressed out when we can't. Re- when it calls, we feel a compulsion to answer. Look, I know that you guys are in middle school, so most of you can't drive, so you're not going to be able to relate to this in some way. But, um, like. Let's just say I'm wearing blue jeans and I stick my phone in my pocket. All right? and it's kind of hard to get into your pocket, in your jeans pocket if you're driving. Um, and I'm driving along. And my wife does this thing where she sends me text. She doesn't just send like one block text. She sends like a sentence and then, and then hit send and another sentence and another sentence. And I always tell her, like, if it takes more than three sentences, just call. Like, I don't want to read three texts. Like, um, but what will happen is, but she doesn't care what I say, so she just does whatever she wants. Um, and uh, so I'll be driving along, okay, and my phone will buzz. And it will buzz again. I keep mine on silent. And then it will buzz a third time. Like I'll feel it. And then, and I'll just ignore it because I'm driving. And then you got to get that secondary buzz from each one. You know what I mean? Like, because the phone's like, hey, you're not paying attention to me. Let me remind you one more time. People are texting you. And like it buzzes that. And I am a 39-year-old man, okay? Allegedly an adult and allegedly in my right mind. And I'll be driving down the road and I'll be screaming at no one in particular. I'm driving right now and I cannot answer the phone. Like, I, like why? Because, look, I'm classically conditioned. I'm no better than you, okay? I have trained myself that it frustrates the mess out of me. It makes me so mad when this thing is buzzing and I can't answer it. Now that is a relationship that's worth exploring, okay? Because all of a sudden this thing that I own seems like it kind of owns me. All of a sudden this thing that I own kind of owns me because it's telling me what to do and when I can't do what it says, I'm getting mad. I'm not getting mad because it won't do what I want it to. I'm getting mad because I won't do what it wants me to. That is interesting, okay? That's going to give us a pause. That's, we, we, should, we absolutely have to pause and think about that, okay? Okay. This is what uh, Paul writes in Romans about idolatry. This first part, I mean, all of it is important, obviously, but for our purposes, I want to focus on the underlying portion. I'm going to read the whole text, though. It says this. It says, Therefore God gave them up, talking about idolaters, gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And this is the part that I really want to focus in on, which is this. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Okay? They worship and serve. This is like a definition of what it means to be an idolater, okay? Or someone who is caught up in idolatry, someone who worships idols, is that you are worshiping and serving something that is created instead of the one who created it. Okay? There's a pastor. Um, when I write books, I use a pseudonym. It's uh, Tim Keller. Y'all might have heard of him. So uh, that's a joke for like eight people in here. But um, no, Tim Keller is a pastor, was a pastor in New York. I guess he's still always a pastor, but now he just writes books all the time. And, um, and I don't know what else he does, whatever people who are smart do. And um, he says this, an idol is usually a good thing that we make an ultimate thing. We say, unless I have that, I am nothing. So what is he saying here, all right? And this is not original to him, by the way. Um, but... 
He's saying this, that an idol is something good. It's not something bad. You're not going to hear me say that your phone is all bad. That's not what this elective is about. It's me bashing you or bashing your phone or anything like that. Like, phones are cool, okay? They're cool things, all right? But when we take a good thing and we say, this is a necessary thing for me, then when we say it's an ultimate thing, then we have ventured into the realm of idolatry. Alright? We have entered the realm of idolatry. And what do we say in here? Like, look, is your phone an idol for you? Okay? Let me just ask you a real quick question. Just walk me through this, walk through this exercise with me. Let's all walk out to the beach right now and throw our phones in the gulf and just live without them for the rest of the week. Alright, 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 alright. I got you, I got you. Okay. It was a mental exercise, which means like it's something you think about, don't talk about, but whatever. Um, and I know that some of you had your phones taken up. I take my, 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 my kids' phones up. But I should just think about not having your phone for a week, a month. Just think about it. For some of you, that is already, just the thought of that is creating anxiety. It's like, how will I talk to my friends? Like, how will I... That is a sign that this is another relationship that's worth exploring. Alright? Another sign that this relationship is worth exploring is that we feel that we absolutely have to have our phones. That in some way, we are diminished as a person when we don't have this device. That in some way, our life that we cannot thrive. We might be able to survive, but we cannot thrive unless we have this. Guys, this is, some alarm bells ought to be going off, okay? Some alarm bells ought to be going off. So these are two conclusions I want to reach today. The first is this, is that we are forced to face the reality that our phones have quite possibly become ultimate things for us. Things without which we can't imagine living and thriving. Things that we believe give us access to the most core desires. Like belonging, security, knowledge, and influence. Now look. No one really worships the phone. Okay? Like no one bows down and worships. I mean, you do worship your phone, but no one worships its phone, the phone for its phoneness. Okay? Like, okay, some people do. I'll grant you, some people are like really into technology. And like I watched, I went back and watched the video where Steve Jobs unveiled the first iPhone, okay? And like, you know how like if you just go through your contacts, like you just do this and it scrolls. And then when you hit the bottom, it kind of bounces. It bounces and comes back up. Like when he did that in front of all those tech nerds in 2007, when he did that, like literally people were like tearing their clothes and crying. People were like, ah! over that. Like, okay, those people are into technology, I guess. You know what I mean? But most of you are not like, dude, the RAM on this thing is sick. Like, what? Check out this frame rate. Like, oh man. Look at, look at these, look at these data speeds. Like, no one is like, when I say, you might, you might think to yourself, Oh, well, that's what he's talking about. Like, people who worship their phone are just like, oh, look at how cool it is. Like, look how thin it is. Or look, like, it's a titanium alloy. Like, no. 
That's not what you're worshiping. When I say that your phone is an idol for you, what I'm saying is this, is that your phone gives you access to what you really want. That you view your phone as a gateway to belonging, to security, to influence, right? That without this, you can't really be who you're supposed to be and have what you need to have. That this gives you access to the real thing. And that is why this is so much like the idols that the Bible talks about. I know it feels like we're so separated from them, right? It's been 2019 years, give or take, since Jesus was born, right? And it feels like we're so far from them, but we're really not that far away, right? Yes, we have cars and the internet and we've sent someone to space, but yet, just like them, we, we have these little things that we carry around that we feel give us access to our core desires. That's what idols were, right? They had... They had handheld devices. The people in the first century and before that, they had handheld devices. They had devices that they felt connected them to the core desires of their life. All right, And they didn't worship those things because they were stone. They didn't worship the statue before its marble or for how it was cut. They didn't worship the statue because of its wood or its portability. No, they worshiped it because it represented something else. Just like we worship this because it represents something else. Our idols are more sophisticated. Surely, this is cooler than this. Okay? And a lot, I mean, in some ways this is cooler. I mean, this is handcrafted. I mean, this is like made in a sweatshop somewhere, but whatever. Um, but it's more sophisticated for sure. But it's not that different, right? It's not that different. We, we are carrying around the thing that we... Have you, have you guys ever seen the movie Gladiator? Has anyone ever seen the movie Gladiator? It's kind of an old movie for you guys. It pains me to say that because I was in like college when it came out. But, um, but in the movie Gladiator, the hero, he, um, he's a Roman soldier and he takes a little model of his wife, a little like wood hand, hand whittled like version of his, of his wife and of his son and he sets them down in front of these idols, these like other idols and he prays to the Roman gods and spoiler alert, his wife and his son do not make it um, so it doesn't end well for them but uh, he, he, he sets them down and there are those little idols there. He's not asking those little wooden idols to protect his son. He's asking what those things represent. All right. So when I say that you worship your phone, what I mean is when I say that I worship my phone, I don't worship it for its phoneness. I worship it because it gives me access to the things that I think I must have. And so therefore it is an idol for us. It is an idol. Okay. But I'm going to try to get this out early so you guys can be early to the lunch line. But I do want to, um, I do, want to do two things before we go. The first one is this. I don't want you to make the mistake and think that what you ingest via your phone or what you, what you put, what you view or how you behave, that it doesn't have a direct effect on you, okay? And the only example I have, which is an example I use all the time, is the first time that I ever saw the movie Taken. It was 2008 or nine, whenever that movie came out, and my wife was having a girl's night, okay? And so I was home alone, and that was the time for me to watch movies that are scary because my wife, or like in any way intense, because my wife doesn't really like those movies. Um, ironically, she loves like true crime podcasts where actual murder occurs, but she doesn't like like simulated murder. Anyway, um, and there's a scene in Taken where the hero finally catches up with the guys who kidnapped his daughter. And like they don't realize it yet, 
But he says, I, I told you I would find you. And then he just wrecks everyone's face in that entire place. Like he's just like, it's just like he's just like, like he's faking dead for a second and killing people. It's just, and like I started out the movie laying on my couch like this, like laid back on my couch like this, like watching it. And then by the end of the movie, I was like standing up on my couch. Like, and I, I had so much pent up energy and aggression. Like when that movie was over, what I did is I, I didn't know what else to do. I mean, it was 2008, and so I just fired up Halo 3. I don't know if you'll ever play that game. But listen, let me tell you something, boys. Some noobs got in that night, like hardcore. I was like, no scopes, not a problem. Like, we're just doing this thing. Like, we're, we're, we, were, we were capturing the flag. We were doing everything that we needed to do. Because I was just like, I say that only because, only because what I put in front of my eyes... And what I focus on and what I love and what resonates with me, it affects me and changes my behavior. It doesn't, it doesn't, it has an effect on how I act, how I think, how I talk. And if we are constantly, if we constantly have this thing in front of ourselves, don't make the mistake and think, don't make the mistake and think that you own this. Okay? Do not make that mistake. Hear me now. If you've been using this thing for a while, it owns you. Okay? And it is changing the way that you think and act is changing the way that you speak it is and we cannot we have to walk into this eyes wide open alright here we go here's what we're going to do for the rest of the week tomorrow we're going to look at how like how our phones are changing us okay I'm going to walk you through as many as I can ways that your phones are changing us and then on Thursday we're going to finish up with a little more of that and then we're going to talk about well what do we do how do we take back ownership of this in Christ how do we live for Christ and take back ownership of this thing and make Christ the ultimate thing and make this just a useful tool that He's given us? Alright? A useful, not an ultimate thing, but a useful tool. So that's, that's our plan for the rest of the week. Um, I'm going to ask... Uh, I saw him earlier. Rob, will you pray for us? Yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, you Amen.